So we give a warm welcome to Clive. This is Clive. Thanks, Luke. That's great. Let me introduce you. Oh, okay, 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 Because not many people will know you. All right, this all right, this all is right. Clive. Hi. Clive um, is part of the RM Apostolic team. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Clive, <laughs> Clive, whilst uh, Steph is on sabbatical, has, has just agreed to really wanting to connect with us and be around us. Um, I had the privilege of hearing him speak at Lead on Ecclesiastes, and it was one of the best days of teaching I've ever heard. So that was wonderful. And then I had the privilege of spending a day with him a few weeks ago with some of the other leaders, and... I already feel like he's my uncle, like a surrogate dad, all that kind of stuff. So just to commend him to you, he, he, he's got so much to share. He's got so much life experience that we can just feed off today. So please receive him well. I'm going to pray for him. But if we can just all pray together and then be excited to hear what Clive's going to share from us. Lord, I, I thank you for this man. I thank you for what you've done in his life. And I pray that um, your Holy Spirit be working in him this morning, that it would be your words that we hear speaking through him. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in his life. I pray that it would be such an encouragement to all of us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Clive, over to you, Thank mate. you. Thank you so much. That's great. Well, it's great to finally be at Rev Church. I was brought up in Mill Hill and Hendon, so it's not too far from this mighty metropolis uh, where we are now. I've just got back from Tiruvananthapuram. I'm showing off there because I can say that Malayalam word. Anyone been to Kerala? Put your hands up if you've been to Kerala. <gasps> you've got a treat in store. Plan your holidays in Kerala. Um, because my wife and I planted Gateway Church in Dubai, we have many, many friends down in the subcontinent. And uh, I've just been to an amazing party which lasted for five days in India. The curry is amazing. Can I just tell you about the fish curry? I could get sidetracked immediately. If you're into fish curry, Kerala is the place to be. But um, there was a 90-year-old woman who had, has 10 children and four of those children were in Dubai with Heather and me when we built Gateway Church. And uh, she said, I'm having Clive back as one of my honoured guests at my 90th birthday party. So I've been dressed in a mundu, you know, the skirt. You know, I predate David Beckham and sarongs, okay, and uh, the kurta and the dancing. It was just a wonderful time. So I'm back in a pretty multicultural, cosmopolitan environment here with you. I feel very much at home. I've just met the mighty Dan Hayter for the first time. And um, we had a little conversation in French, so I'm going to start with a term of endearment. I'll call you my little cabbages, because I've lived for a year in France, so good morning, my little cabbages. How are you? <laughs> Mes petits choux, that, that works. There is a more favourite term of endearment that I have, um, which not many people know from France, it's this, so welcome, uh, sorry, hello, my little pigeon droppings. <laughs> and if you believe that, you believe anything. We're checking it out right now. That is not a term of endearment. <laughs> but it's one that I've made up. Um, so I like it. It's even better than cabbages. But it's my great privilege to be with you. I think Goff spoke about me a little bit. I've been up in Norwich for um, six months um, working with the big King's Community Church and had a great time. So back from India and um, had the delight of catching up with you. So I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to stick to the script and I'm going to speak on Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, I think it's going to turn up behind me. Philippians chapter 2 and it's verses 19 to 30. And I'm going to read from the NIV 2011 version. And I think ESV is going to come up behind you. So you can, you can manage two different English versions, can't you? Before I do, let's pray. I've loved your contributions and the Spirit of God is present here. 
We all want to see Jesus this morning. We want to catch his spirit. We want it to flood our hearts. We want his love to melt us afresh. And we Lord, thank you that you are indiscriminate in your affections. You love us all. You don't care what we've done. You do. You went to the cross for that. But Lord, you look past everything that we've ever done wrong. And you say, I've come to liberate you from a guilty conscience. I've come to free you to be your true self. I've come to put my love deep in your heart so that you're not afraid of anything that life might throw at you in the days and weeks and months to come. I come to set you free because you're the child of my love. And I'm lavish. I use all the -the over-the-top verbs with you. I really do mean it that if there'd been no one else, I'd have died for you. Let that sink into your heart, my dear, dear child, this morning. Just know that I'm so for you. Know that when I speak to you, I speak words of life that will always set you free. When I come to you, when I come into your heart, you'll always feel free. My word never binds. Now just receive again a fresh touch of my Holy Spirit, which will make you feel at peace with yourself and thrilled to sign up to whatever I lead you into. I pray now that my reckless love, I I give you my reckless love, my abandoned self I give to you. I went to the cross for you. See my sacrifice for you. Look at me and just receive afresh my word into your heart this morning in in my glorious name. Amen. Sorry, I was kind of half prophesying, half praying then. I was kind of somewhere between the two. But I just feel God is here in a wonderful way. And I've been given a great passage. I, I don't know if it was just the luck of the draw, Dan, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, not only on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, we go back a week or two to the first part of Philippians 2. Whoever preached on that had a treat of scripture, because it's all about the humility and the glory of Christ, and that famous, famous passage about Jesus becoming a servant. He's humbled himself. And now in this second part of chapter two, you've got Paul and his traveling companions 
who are following in Jesus's footsteps. And it's very important right from the start that we see the link between the first part of Philippians 2. So if you keep your Bibles open, you read that kind of like a hymn of glory and praise about what Jesus has done by taking the form of a servant. But it transfers on into this second bit about Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions are living in the shadow of what has happened at the cross. They're living in the shadow of Philippians chapter 2, first part. It follows on naturally. You might not think that. You might think that's sublime theology in the first part of chapter 2. And then you get down to the nitty gritty about Paul and his mates. No, no, no. There is a beautiful connection which I'd like to unpack. This is a wonderful insight into Paul's apostolic team. Because it see that motivation that Paul has, that motivates us as a church. That same heartfelt friendship, esteeming of one another, being vulnerable to one another is what we want right here. That's the community that we want to build right here amongst ourselves. So actually, you might think, well, you know, it's just Paul a bit anxious about Epaphroditus who nearly died. No, no, it's so much deeper than that. Look at how verse 19 starts. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Interesting. Everything Paul plans is always submitted to God's guidance first and foremost. You know, Paul had all sorts of plans. You can list the cities yourselves, Berea, Macedonia, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, etc., etc. He must have had all sorts of plans kicking through in his imagination. Where shall I go next? Where should I go? What should I do? But his whole operating style amazingly, is to first of all submit my plans to the Lord. Jesus is at headquarters, not Paul. The whole of Paul's life is under God's jurisdiction. Jesus will decide whether Paul is going to send Timothy, not Paul. Put it another way, yeah, this is kind of common sense because Timothy going to the Philippians would make good sense, but actually it's ultimately subject to the will of God. That comes back to us now in Rev. I'm not actually in control of my life. And if Paul, in his apostolic wisdom and deep common sense and practical planning thought, hang on a minute, seems like a good idea, I'm going to submit this to the Lord Jesus. Rev Church submits its plans to God at every stage. Seems like a simple point to make, but actually in the hurly-burly and the rush and the mad bustle, we can miss that, that deep submission. Lord, what do you want us to do? What's Rev Church called to do? There may be so many fruitful opportunities ahead. When we were in Dubai, my wife and I had so many doors that seemed to be opening with so many different nationalities. We were like, it was like holding a tiger by the tail because it was exponential growth. It was very quick. There was a an amazing kind of desire for an international community to come together. But maybe there were some doors that we were not meant to go through. What's pressing your attention at the moment? Is it a door that God has opened for you? Is this the Lord? How are you going to know? You submit your plans to him and you pray. If you feel that caution that actually, no, that's not a door I go through, it would be unwise to push through and go on and through. Maybe that's for someone here this morning. But if you do sense, no, Lord, my common sense plus my praying and submitting of my plans to you, I've got that kind of, I can't describe it, it's intuitive, but I've got a green light. Lord, 
I'm going to take a step of faith. And um, when you get that wonderful kind of intuitive awareness that God is directing your steps, then the excitement starts. And of course, as I'm sure other people in this sermon series have said, this is the first church in Europe that's being planted in Philippi. This is the gospel coming from Asia Minor and planting a flag on the beach, as it were, for Europe. This is cutting-edge apostolic work, Philippi. And um, I think back to where, how we decided to go to Dubai. It was very funny. I thought, I like palm trees. <laughs> I like coconut juice. I love the fish curries, as I was saying earlier. And we love the hot weather. We love the Arabic food. We love the mix of nationalities. But actually, we had to submit this. And once we knew we had that intuitive yes, that, that discernment, uh, you sense the favour of God. I have so many stories that I'd love to tell you about that, maybe one or two today, but many, many stories of how God led us in a dynamic sort of way. Let me just give you one, just comes off the top of my head. We'd started in the Ramada Hotel in Burr, Dubai. How many people have been to Dubai? Okay, a few more than have been to Kerala, good. Burr, Dubai is slightly less fashionable part of Dubai. The Ramada Hotel was our first home. We outgrew the Ramada, we got to about 100 people and we were pressing more people in thinking we had to get somewhere else so we ended up we were driving around praying and saying where should we meet and uh, we drove past the Jordanian social club and I suddenly felt that sense of Lord I'm submitting my plans Lord I stopped the car parked up walked in and I said can I speak to the functions and banquet manager out came a woman now I say this advisedly girls calm down okay out came a woman she was an Arab and she was Muslim. And I thought, I've got three major problems here in terms of being allowed to rent the premises. A room like about this size, the Jordanian Social Club. But I felt God saying, you've submitted your plans to me, give them to me, they will succeed. So I said to Hannah, who was the functions and banquet manager, Hannah, uh, we would like to um, meet as a church in the Jordanian Social Club. Mr. Clive, she said them. Um, it so happens that we are looking to have the use of this hall to make extra revenue. And um, King Hussein, he went to Sandhurst Military Academy. We are very connected with you in the UK. And from that point on, we got on like a house on fire. And God gave favour through a woman to a man. Now, you understand the dynamic of that, don't you, in the Middle East? She was not afraid to talk to me. She was able to make executive business decisions with me. She was Muslim and she knew full well whether we were a Christian church. And um, her Arab culture was completely different from my culture. And yet we stayed at that Jordanian club and we grew to about 200 people before we moved on to the next place, Favour. Let's be very sensitive to all leadings from God. So you are being challenged, I'm sure, in your own personal lives about what God's leading you into. Just keep on your prayer mat, okay? And keep submitting those plans because Paul does this. Even though he's got mighty works behind him, great success behind him, he is still, everything he wants to do next, in the Lord, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And this is very submissive way of working. It's actually quite hard to work in a submissive way, especially when you're on a bit of a roll. But it's, as we will find out, it's very costly to him as well. Why is it costly? Because he's going to have to send dear Epaphroditus to Paul, uh, sorry, uh, away back to the Philippians to take care of Philippians 
when Epaphroditus is taking care of Paul's needs. Epaphroditus is so helpful to Paul and he's going to have to be submissive now and send back his dear friend who helped him. That's tough. And as I was reading and preparing this, I've, I've spoken with Steph, I've spoken with Luke and Matt and Rich, and I've got a bit of an angle in on you guys. I've spoken to Uncle Goff, and I get a bit of a feel for you as a church. And I know that there are people in Rev, like Epaphroditus, who have made it possible for others to be active in ministry. I know that there are wonderful people in this church, I'm probably looking at many of you now, who are helping others to stand strong, to blossom and to grow you are very special people doing that, serving like Epaphroditus served Paul. And actually, if you're going to say goodbye to people like that, that's going to be very painful. Paul is going to lose Epaphroditus just when Epaphroditus is helping Paul. He's actually going to lose Timothy as well. This is a tough passage for a man who's got a very tender heart to his son and his brother. His son, he calls him his son, Timothy, and calls Epaphroditus his brother. These are his best friends that he doesn't want to lose. Why is he like that? Why can he give people away that he feels very dear about? And you've given people away. I've heard a little bit of your history recently where you have, can I say, lost or released is perhaps a better word. You've released people to wonderful settings in Frankfurt and beyond into the Middle East. This is dynamic. This is apostolic. What a church. You remind me so much of Dubai and my own background of having people come in for a while and go. Oh, it used to hurt me. No, don't go. Don't go. But it reminds me of that first part of Philippians again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, church. In humility, value others above yourself. Don't look to your own interests. Hang on, our interests are building this church. If you say don't look after your interests, how are we going to build this church? If we say, God bless you, yes, we'll pray for you. Go away from here into new territory. Well, actually, that's how Jesus operated. He didn't look to the interests of himself. He looked to the interests of others always. And that beautiful value is something I just want to keep over you as a central London building and sending church. I think that's going to be with you all the way through. It was with us in Dubai and it was hard and beautiful and exciting to live with. So maybe God's called someone who was very near to you and dear to you and you've, you've, you've lost them recently. But we have to push through. I remember uh, there was a, a particular youth leader that uh, I was very, very fond of. We made him an offer to try and keep him to stay. And we made a very attractive offer to him. But clearly this wasn't in God. And uh, I hit up against the counsel of God. I wanted this guy to stay. He fitted our plans perfectly. And, you know, hang on a minute. We've got plans for you here. And as you wave them off because they've heard God to go somewhere else, you realise, no, no, you were my friend that I could share my heart with. You're kind of my one in a million brother or sister. Maybe you've lost a personal friend here in the church who's gone off elsewhere. But actually, um, when you release, when you give away, you are going to be blessed as you, as you feel the impact of that giving. Healthy sending churches will say, my hands are off whatever God wants to do here. And uh, so Paul says the Philippians need him more than, he, more than he does. God has said, go, Epaphras will go. And um, we live this vulnerable and beautiful value all the time. The work will go on without that particular person. 
It's faith. It's a bit like money, giving away your money and wondering what's going to come back to you. Um, release and it will be given because others will arrive. And I just want to say that to you this morning. There are many who will come amongst you. There will be many willing, servant-hearted people who will come into Rev Church. And wherever I go, I find that within every church, there are always the right people in situ to build the church. We don't need to be worried about that. Now, Paul commends Timothy as a wonderful example of proven leadership. So Timothy in verse 22 is described as proven. He's tested. He has been observed in tense, dangerous circumstances, and he's come through all his battles and trials. So this relationship between Paul and Timothy has been tested in a very personal way. It's not lecturer, student, it's father and son. So father or mother, son and daughter are the relationships that we are noticing here in chapter two. These relationships build the church. The father, son, mother, daughter, father, daughter, mother, son. That tender relationship between family members. Why? Because that's how God works. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I'm sending Timothy, my son, whom I love, he is echoing exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He sent his son whom he loved. Paul didn't just send letters. He sent his son. And you have an enemy who is always trying to spoil father-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter, mother-son relationships. If you remember back to when Jesus was tempted, when he went into the desert, the devil says, if you're the son of God, notice the word son, he's basically saying, why don't you just be a bit more independent? Why don't you do a few flashy miracles to prove that you're the son of God? You don't need to go the way of the cross. You can do a few magic tricks to impress. You don't need to follow your father's will, which will take you to the cross. You'll notice the devil's trying to split the father-son relationship in the desert. And we are all facing that same test this morning. Perhaps you've come here chewing over a knotty problem that's in your life right at this point in time. Maybe going round your head is, I don't know that I can go to the trouble and the risk of trusting God on this particular issue. I feel a need to be independent of trusting that I hear God's word for each situation I'm in. It would be quicker and easier if I took control of this situation. Why should I do things that way, God, when I can find this is a much quicker and more effective way? I can do this my way, Lord. You don't seem to be coming through for me. Once we start going down that road, we start to lose the intimacy of a beautiful relationship with the Father who loves us. And cares for us like he does for his own son. Do you know Tim Keller's favourite two words in the Bible? Do you know this? Anyone know what they are? His favourite two words in the Bible are Tim Keller, who leads this beautiful church in Manhattan. He says this, that my two favourite words are even as. You think, where did he get that from? And it comes from John chapter 17, where Jesus says, and my prayer is that you, my disciples, will know that the Father loves me even as he loves you that he loves you even as he loves me so in other words i tell you a stupendous truth this morning that the father loves you 
even as in exactly the same way as he loves the Lord Jesus. Even as. This father-son relationship is the most precious thing we could be talking about. And that was the way Paul operated in ministry. I remember when we were really breaking through in, in Gateway in Dubai and people would come into the church and they would feel an atmosphere. And we had all sorts of difficult nationality relationships in the church. So you had the Indo-Pak problem in Kashmir with the dividing line going down through that disputed territory in the northwest of India. And when we really broke through into the grace of God, you had an Indian worshipper with tears coming down his cheeks, lost in worship, wonder, love and praise, standing next to his Pakistani brother, who is equally in worship, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace, which is a level playing field. And the two are brothers in the church. This is amazing. You will not find that anywhere else but in the church. This is a dynamic gathering, unlike a political party or a social club or the golf club or whatever club you want to find people coming together. The church breaks down these barriers. We had Sri Lankans. The civil war was still going on in Sri Lanka when we arrived. And we had Tamils in the north of Sri Lanka coming in with Sinhalese speakers from the south of the island. The tsunami came in whilst we were in Dubai and obliterated part of southern Sri Lanka. We had Tamil Christians weeping and holding their Sinhalese brothers and sisters who had lost family members in the tsunami. And, and the, the civil war is still going on. Naturally, they are deadly enemies, killing each other back in Sri Lanka. But here we've got brotherhood and sisterhood and it's only the grace of God that does that you need something far bigger than some political slogan we need the love of God which sweeps over our hard hearts and brings traditional enemies together do you know what we thought we're getting somewhere now when you see that embrace of hostile and of course we realize you know this God this is God's heart so when Paul writes about Epaphras, my dear brother, just think that one through with me. It's absolutely hilarious. Do you know what Epaphroditus means? It means blessed by Aphrodite. <laughs> now, let's just think that through for a minute. Blessed by Aphrodite. Can I, can I just kind of switch the mic off and tell you that Aphrodite is the goddess of sex and love and rock and roll. She's a naughty god. I'm just joking, right? But she is the goddess of love. Now, Epaphroditus is a Gentile. And Paul is saying, this is my brother. Now, imagine he, Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, strict Pharisee background from the tribe of Benjamin, scrupulously letter of the law. He would have called Epaphroditus years ago a dog. He now says, Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, I'm trying to think of... Um, I've been thinking as I've been coming up here, thinking, how can I put this into modern parlance? So Paul's talking to the Philippians and saying, this is my dear brother, blessed by Aphrodite. It's like saying, here I am Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, and here's my dear brother, Rihanna's love child. Or, <laughs> or I don't know, I've got some rude words in my head, but I can't tell you. But, you know, what, how can you, what name would you give today for someone who's, you know, 
blessed by the goddess of love and, you know, whatever. Do you see the shock of that? It's wonderful. The gospel has broken Paul's heart and made Epaphroditus think we are together in ministry. What a ride for Epaphroditus along the mi- side the mighty Paul. He's got a name. Well, you choose your own, you know. And um, God is building these new relationships, I believe, all around the world. And I feel that's a blueprint for you here. So as I look around the room, I, I want you to get more and more and more and more mixed up. Mixed ups. When we were really through to about the 300 mark in Gateway, you couldn't tell what the nationality of the church was. Just because I was a Brit didn't mean it was a British church. You couldn't tell. And I thought, there, we've got there. You can't tell. And that's a little bit of heaven touching earth. And we want that here. We want the sense of heaven, come, heaven coming down where we are all under the grace of God. There's no pecking order. We had a Sri Lankan maid who I will call Shanti. Uh, it's not her real name. She lived in a garage, tiny garage at the back of Mom's house, a very rich expat Western woman. And Shanti would earn about £50 a month. And she sent back about £25 a month. And that fed her whole family back in Colombo. And Shanti spoke quite broken English. She would always pray in this gathering. She she would come to the front like we've just seen this morning. And Shanti would, I can only say, warble on in broken English. But she would sound something like, I just thank you, God, that every time I come to this beautiful family... I just feel that I'm just myself for only two hours a week. And when I go back to my garage and I serve mom and I clean the floors and I go back to my garage and I send my few dirhams a month back to Sri Lanka, I just wait for the next time I can be back with my family. Because when I'm with you, she's praying, half talking to the church. I'm just myself. You are, you are the only ones who help me to be who I really am. Isn't that the grace of God? And we want to build that atmosphere here so whoever comes through these doors feels immediately, I'm at home. I don't need to pretend. I can take off the mask. You don't care about my nationality. You don't care about my background. You don't care if I've got a criminal record. You don't care if I've been in debt. You don't care what, who I am. I'm deeply accepted. Now, Epaphras was sick to the point of death. And Paul says this, God had mercy on Epaphras and on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Let's just spend a little bit of time on that for a moment before I finish. Hang on a minute. Didn't Paul write earlier in Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? Wasn't it Paul who said, I'd rather die and be with Christ? And yet here he's saying, if Epaphras had died, it would have meant unspeakable sorrow to me. Paul, you're giving us mixed messages here. Now, we need to walk right down the middle of what Paul is actually saying. We are not going to get into unreality when it comes to healing, life and death. And I speak from personal experience. I don't know if you know my background, but maybe Goff said something about me a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, but I lost my wife to cancer last year. So it's still very fresh for me. And we went to Bethel. We went anywhere where we could put... Heather in the pathway of electricity. So you asking me to talk on this passage is very apposite because I feel I've got a lot to say about it. 
I was at a funeral of a 12-year-old boy up in um, North Yorkshire a few years ago. From a, he was from a loving Christian family, and his mum and dad were incredibly upbeat at his funeral. He was a lovely boy, died of a tumour when he was 12 years old. There were no tears. There was rejoicing and celebrating. And the message was, it's gain, it's gain, it's gain. He's gone to heaven. We don't need tears today. Now, hang on. (laughs) Whilst I applaud that wonderful conviction and the reality that he really was in heaven, and he's un, he's in, this little boy is un, in unspeakable glory now. Actually, we live in a world of pain, suffering and loss. To depart is better. But we also read that when Paul's dear brother Epaphroditus, who risked his life for Paul, was made better, Paul saw this as God having mercy on him. Now, We've got a precious confidence about life and death, but to lose someone, and maybe you've just lost a family member, or you've got someone who is very, very sick that you love, right at this point in time as we're looking at Philippians 2. Now, if that's the case, um, we do not get robbed of feelings of loss as Christians. We live in the real world. So, Whilst I've seen wonderful celebrations at funerals, I've also witnessed inhibited stuff at funerals where people have stiff and awkward responses. We don't, we don't want... We want to walk right down the middle with true balance. Now, hear me out here because it's very important that we, we get there. We don't want to get into difficulties with this. We express our emotions. I could get sidetracked here into baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I won't. That's... that's one of my other favourite subjects, but baptism spirit gives you a heart of flesh, a warm and beating heart that feels emotion and you express that emotion. You can be yourself really, don't need to hide your emotions. Yes, we don't grieve as others grieve who have no hope, but we do grieve. And this is what we're seeing in Philippians 2. Paul goes from the most sublime doctrine at the beginning of chapter 2 That's some of the most beautiful stuff you'll ever read anywhere in the Bible. The beginning of chapter two. And then he goes from that to this. My brother nearly died. God saved him. I'm so grateful because if he'd died, it would have broken my heart. He goes from that theology to this. Isn't that wonderful? Because the two work together. Once you've seen the glory of Christ, it breaks your heart and you become wasted in love. You, want to, you just love people and you love God. And so if your dearest friend is near to death, you're going to you go, oh, God, save him. I can't bear the sorrow that will come to me. So there's this real possibility that Epaphras will die. And you've got Paul's healing ministry, which is remarkable. Handkerchiefs waved over sick people, they're healed. We don't water down the healing message. When Heather and I went to Bethel uh, two and a half years ago, we saw some extraordinary miracles. I was there to act as Heather's minder, to put her in the path of any prayer. She got Bill Johnson praying for her. Down she went in the spirit. And um, she received a beautiful touch from God. Behind us... um, there was a girl who had been dragged to the healing conference with Randy Clark and Bill Johnson. Do you know these names? Do you have heard of these names? 
about 2,000 people in Reading Auditorium. And Randy Clark, halfway through the Friday night meeting, said, um, anyone here with metal in their bodies? And around the audience, about 120 people put their hands up. And we were in front of a group of girls, about 18, 20-year-old girls. And it was clear that four of these girls were dragged their unbelieving friend. The unbelieving friend put her hand up. I looked around and I could see clearly a met, a, an oblong metal plate in her forearm. And um, she was like this. She had nothing wrong with tats. She had tats all over her and she had nose rings in her. Nothing wrong with that. But, but um, she was like this. Okay, she clearly didn't want to be there. She was dragged by her believing friends. So she puts her hand up like this. Totally, you feel the cynicism on her. Randy Clark from the stage says, in the name of Jesus, metal, go. At which point, literally, I could have reached back and touched her. She's right behind me and Heather. She screams and she's feeling her arm. And we saw the the outline of this metal plate, she was feeling She could not feel it. It had gone. And the, the most beautiful thing was the look of incredulity on her face. And there was screaming and weeping. And you know when you get in a little group and you jump up and down like that, okay, <laughs> all arms around each other, that was happening. And they dragged her up onto the stage. Well, it didn't drag her, she practically run. And she gave the story, you know, I, you know of this radius and ulna, is it? The two, you know... Yeah, okay, and these were pinned. The metal had disappeared from her arm. And that's on Bethel's website as one of the authentic testimonies. We saw it at first hand, but here's the mystery. I missed my wife by one chair. Now, I say that's a rather crude way of putting it. I don't mean it in a crude way at all. I mean, Lord, you are the mysterious healer. And we walk down the middle of that. We walk through that, and we will not give way when we pray for healing. Marcus Tutt up in Norwich has just written a book on healing. There are lots of books on healing. We, you keep praying. Whenever anyone says, I'm not well, pray for each other's healing. We believe in it with all our hearts. We've seen such extraordinary miracles. And before my eyes, I saw that happen. And yet, God has power to heal, but we don't live in unreality. Uh, it wasn't a case of saying, um, um, you know, supernatural health. I've heard of preachers who say, I intend to be fit till I'm 99, then God's going to take me home. Life is not like that. Timothy was frequently sick. So Epaphras, uh, let's just play a little game here. I see that you're being violently sick and ooh, you've got a very high temperature. And uh, oh, I noticed that you're delirious, but don't worry, Epaphroditus, these are only symptoms. You're not really sick. No, we can't live like that. Paul is much more honest. Epaphras nearly died. So we are going to live in reality, aren't we? But we're not going to surrender our desire to see people prayed for and healed. Amen? Okay. Let's summarise. I think this passage gives us a wonderful insight into the world that Paul lived in. This is Paul with his dear friends on a mission. Paul has what he calls friends or brothers, sons, and they've all risked their lives because of Christ's love. Christ who laid down his life for them, they're laying down their lives for each other. So there's this beautiful reminder as I close that the New Testament is written in the context of real people in a real world. So in other words, 
This is not cold theology. This is theology expressed in a very practical and personal world that we all live in. And that's how all theology should be. This is what Gordon Fee said. Paul lived as a believer surrounded by friends. Those friends brought him joy. And the untimely death of such friends would have been for him immeasurable grief. You catch the heart of that? I want that for you. As you look at each other this morning, you give me an immeasurable grief to lose you. You've caught the spirit of Christ. You've caught the spirit that should be in this church and I believe is in this church. That You are so dear to each other. You're so precious to each other. That to lose each other causes immeasurable grief. We have no appetite for institutionalism. Don't let that ever come upon you. And that's why we want the whole place jumbled up with all the nationalities. Because you can't plough your own lonely cultural furrow that way. We love friendship. This Shanti who said, uh, I feel myself for two hours a week. I hope that's your experience here and in small group and whenever you're with your friends in this lovely church. So God give us courage in the midst of all the confusing perplexities that you are walking through at the moment. In the middle of all your difficult choices, is that a door that's opening to me? I submit it to you again afresh, Lord. Forgive me. I repent of my own natural fleshly way of doing things. Who is my father in this church? Who's my mother? Who's my friend? Who can I open my heart to like Paul opened his heart? Once you love, you remember that bit in Shadowlands where Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger are in there. If you see that film, quite an old film, where Deborah Winger says to Anthony Hopkins, who is C.S. Lewis, she said, if you love, you will hurt. That's the deal. Have you opened your heart to vulnerability? I hope you have, because the rewards are so much greater than the feeling of perhaps being rejected or hurt. Lord, help us to develop these relationships in Rev. Teach us the wonderful atmosphere of the New Testament. It's always in the shadow of the cross. Amen? Amen. 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 Shall we stand together? We're going to break... Bread. Have we got time to break bread? Okay, good, good time, are we? Let's, we're going to break bread in a minute. Um, I'm not sure how you usually do break bread. I haven't had that conversation with Luke, but um, maybe we should... Where is the bread? Over there. Maybe we should be a bit personal, up close and personal with each other today, where you... I don't know if it's... Do you serve each other? Do you, do you, bring, do you come to the baskets or the baskets go around? We're all pile forward. Cool. Can you grab a decent bit of bread and just break bread with people that you love? But that means there might be some people who are visitors, might get a bit missed out. So we've got to be very alert here, okay? We've got to be very sensitive to this moment. We want to express that New Testament atmosphere this morning, okay? Let's, let's just ask God now to help us. We're about to break bread, Lord, and we realise that everybody's invited to this table. Even if you're not a believer here this morning, God invites you. If you're searching for him with all your heart, he invites you to take bread and wine and to receive him into yourself. And you don't dishonour him and his sacrifice if you eat with faith. If you'd rather sit it out, that's fine. 
we commend you for your honesty, but we want you to eat and drink with us together. And Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, that this is an end time sign that as we eat and drink together now, we're going to hasten the day when you come back because there's going to be a banquet ahead of us where we will sit at table with you yourself, Lord Jesus. And now we eat this morning with glad hearts, so thankful for your sacrifice. So, so thank you for that, thankful for that beautiful value that Paul had when he was knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus and was never the same again. How he could partner with Aphrodite's blessed one and see it as a privilege this Gentile dog. Lord, we don't want any barriers between us here this morning, so we share this beautiful meal together and we rejoice in our salvation and we rejoice in this lovely church which is uh, a sign to all the nations assembled in London. Oh Lord, be lifted up, Lord Jesus, among us. Let your light of your gospel shine through Rev Church as we eat and drink and joy in your name, in, in Jesus' name. Amen.